and welcome to Fulcrum Transmissions, a Star Wars podcast. Thank you for joining us this week. Episodes will typically be uploaded every Monday and any changes to that schedule will be posted on our Twitter and TikTok at Fulcrum Pod and on Instagram at Fulcrum Podcast. Be sure to follow us on any of those for previews and information about upcoming episodes. Hi, my name is Sage. I use she, they pronouns and you can find me on TikTok and on Twitter at Sage Sindula. Hi, my name is Claire, and my pronouns are she, her. You can find me on TikTok at Claire Kenobi and on Twitter at Quirky Kenobi. My name is Daniel. My pronouns are he, him. You can find me on Twitter at, at DJ Older, on TikTok at, at Daniel Jose Older, and on Instagram at, at Daniel Jose One. All right. And um, obviously, we have a guest today. We hey. are going to be talking about... Um, Daniel's upcoming book, Midnight Horizon, or I guess by the time this is out, the book will be out. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about it. There will be spoilers for this book because we have read it. Nothing super major, but if you don't you want any spoilers at all, I suggest reading it and then coming back to the show because we do have a great conversation. If you are a regular listener, you do know that me and Claire have been very, very excited <laughs> about this book um, and have... We are very grateful to have gotten readers' copies and read it. And yeah, we are going to try to keep our composure as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I'm excited to be on this podcast. I'm a fan of the podcast. So, you know, it's Thank a mutual you. fandom. Um, yeah. So just to start. So your book, Midnight Horizon, it also it ties in directly with uh, the Higher Public Adventures comics. That's where we get introduced to a lot of the characters that are in this book. Um and some of our favorites here on the podcast are Lula and Zine. In the last High Republic Adventures comic um, that was released, it was confirmed that they do have romantic feelings for each other. Um, I screamed and cried. It was the greatest thing of my life. Anyways. I can attest to the, the crying. Yeah. You all read it at the same, like, were you on a call with each other while you read it? I, yeah, we yeah. read, that was the week we read that and... I and don't know what other storm. two. Eye of the Storm, and, yeah. And the and, Star Wars 20 yes. issues. <laughs> that was a lot. That was That's like a lot of screaming. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was like a call of like 10 of us too and we we're all just like crying and <laughs> it was <a> anyway. <laughs> um, was, so was the plan for Lula and Zine always like this? Was it always to have them be romantic interests? It totally was. That was like the grand plan. That was like the plan behind the entire comic. That was the one thing I went in knowing. <laughs> I was like, I knew, I knew I would have a group of Padawans and I knew I wanted to bring in someone who was an outsider, but was force sensitive and play with that, explore that dynamic between them. Um, but I definitely knew I wanted to have this, like this long love story that was a slow burn that we would get to the end. I literally wrote a memo to Mike and the team and story group where I laid it out and was like, hopefully by this time people will be shipping them. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. Since so issue worked. one, since issue one. <laughs> Which is great. And like I said on Twitter, like that title collision course was a like an internal pun for me, like, cause it really is about their lives colliding and how much they affect each other's lives. And sometimes it looks like, you know, when you find someone that you love, like it sends you spiraling. And sometimes it's in the best way and sometimes it, it's, it doesn't feel like in the best way because it causes conflict. But that really, their lives were like, they were really destined to meet in that moment as much as there was like, you know, debris raining down on, on Trimac 4. So true. Yeah, yeah, we that. definitely were shipping them <laughs> from the beginning. So Good. it worked. <laughs> My plan worked. <laughs> yeah, that, that scene in the first comic issue of like when they first meet and you can just, it's so like, it brings up so many emotions. Um, and that kind of brings us to our next question. Yeah, so we have talked on here and like on social media about how Zine's story um, feels inherently like a queer allegory aside from like everything she has with Lula. Was right. that intentional or did it just kind of happen as the story unfolded? Um, it was in a certain way, right? Like I try to avoid, um, metaphors in fantasy or sci-fi that are too on the nose because like I don't like when I'm reading a book and it feels like we're talking about race and racism and it's like hitting you on the head with it and they haven't usually when they do that they haven't also done the work to really like earn that um not 100 percent. there's times when it works but in general I try to shy away from like two like one for one um correspondences in fantasy worlds 
I was very aware of the fact that there were a lot of correspondences between what she was going through and different queer narratives. Um, and I was conscious of that. And I really liked the fact that that would then also get the payoff of her actually being queer. But I was also simultaneously thinking of um, people I know, for instance, who've grown up in extremely religious communities that don't let them be who they are on a number of levels, whether that's queer or you know, spiritually powerful in different ways that aren't accepted in that religion or, you know, take your pick, right? There's so, I know so many people, I think all of us in some ways have grown up with an experience of feeling like people are loving you in a conditional way. And that condition is that you are less than somehow your full power. And I just really wanted to see this teenage girl like experience that and experience the reverse of it and find people that love her for her full power and get to really like live in that. And, and it was like an added bonus icing on the cake on top of that, that she gets to fall in love too, if that makes sense. Absolutely, it does. <laughs> yeah. Wow, I'm gonna cry. Anyways, <laughs> it's all right. You can totally cry. It's not weird. It's an Claire emotional have, story. Claire and I have cried multiple times recording this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I cried when I was writing it. Like, and I and I look over the pages. So first of all, Harvey Tolu Bao is such an amazing artist, and like yeah. he brings them to life as much as I do. You know, and like he's just been such a great collaborator. And Tony Bruno too. They all just amazing. Um, but like, I've definitely looked at pages and just sobbed, <laughs> just been like, oh God, it's so, <laughs> so yeah. Um, kind of continuing with like Zine and her coming into her own character, the, uh, the main antagonist of the High Republic Adventures comics is Crix, and he used to be Zine's best friend. Um, and, you know, we've talked a lot about him on this podcast, but he, because his story is so interesting and, you know, it's mm -hmm. so interesting to look at from a perspective of analyzing a, a villainous character. But in, in terms of his role in Midnight Horizon, he, on the page, he's not there very much. We focus on other Nihil, we focus on Sabata. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of his impact on Zine, they have a, a great um, conversation in this book uh, and just some a very powerful moment. How did you go about writing this? Like what was the process? Was this always the end goal? Yeah, I knew I wanted them to capture Cricks and not kill him. And I knew that, cause I knew I wanted it to feel like a victory, right? Like they've gone through this whole arc, this year of storytelling. And I just really wanted them to get a win, especially knowing that things are going to hell on a number of levels, right? With Starlight. Um, so I wanted that. I think of Zine's arc in Midnight Horizon really is like going from closing the door on Cricks, actually literally because she slams the door on his screaming <laughs> and that's it. And, and especially her just like leaving him behind, right? Like the, what I really wanted for her was to, he's not even an antagonist anymore. And that's what he, that's his journey in this book is just going from being like this arch nemesis to being nobody. Like her last words to him are like, you're just some kid I used to know. That's all you are now. You're someone else's problem. And, and, and I wanted that for her, you know, that victory, even though there's plenty of other challenges ahead, namely Sabata, right? And so I spent a lot of the, the last um, part of this arc of Power Public Adventures building up Sabata to be a worthwhile villain, you know, for everyone to be confronted. She's smarter than Griggs by a long shot, much more devilish. She's probably the most manipulative and and diabolical villain I've ever written <laughs> and so I really wanted that to be clear going into it so that we could leave Cricks behind on that level and and deal with something even bigger yeah I think Sabata I'm she's such a girl boss we we've also <laughs> talked about her a lot um because like you said it is like a really good moment for Zine to sort of be like okay I'm not gonna let this person from my past who treated me poorly like have such a hold on me anymore and I think that it was like a perfect moment for her character to sort of move on from that and now right. that they have like a new antagonist for them to be facing it's a good like closure to that part of her exactly. story and Crix's story. It was like for her like even chasing him was somehow letting him win because she was still mm -hmm. like focusing her life around him like she diverts herself from the Corelli mission to go finish her thing with him which I'm glad she did she had to close it up it's better she was there for it but still like you know, it's just, he just becomes a non-entity and that's the biggest hell for him, really. Yeah, her getting, her realizing that she does not need to feel like guilty for Crix's actions was yeah. just such an emotional and powerful moment. And I, I really enjoyed that. Um, continuing with um, Midnight Horizon and, mm -hmm. 
you know, we were talking about Sabata and the Nihil and um, they're on Corellia for the mo- a majority of the novel. There's a scene that we knew was coming um, because some concept art was released oh, yeah. a while back. <laughs> um, and we were very excited about this scene. Um, it is the Nihil Masquerade. When in the outline of Midnight Horizon did this idea come from? Um, and why was it so important for it to be introduced in this particular novel? Yeah, it came up, it was very early on. I remember writing it into the first synopsis I wrote um, and it kind of arose naturally out of the story. I knew I wanted it, you know, I knew I wanted them to feel like, to kind of have infiltration vibes, both from the Nile and from the Jedi trying to figure out, they're all, they're both coming somewhere where they don't belong or exist naturally. So they both had to figure out how to kind of get on the inside, which is also where Crash came from, because they needed a guide through that world. And I wanted her to be not just like a quirky, fun person to look at, but like a real person with an arc and emotions and a world and a life that she lived in and inhabited. So that's where Crash came from. And then it must have been somewhere in the fact that I knew she was going to be a bodyguard, and that that was her kind of like, that was such a perfect entry point for her to have um, connections to all these different levels of Corellian society and it just set up everything to kind of go anywhere we needed to go and then it was like oh we're gonna get her into a big soiree and make these you know really socially awkward Jedi like have to deal with people (laughs) like it's like you always want to get your characters out of their comfort zone right and like um, the Jedi are very comfortable in their little world, even when they're kind of aloof with each other and, and nerdy and stuff and whatever, but like throw them into the, the mix of like high society, like that is a mess, you know? And so I knew it would be funny and fun, but I also really wanted to find that moment to have them be very in public when they realize what's happening with Starlight and have to deal with those emotions. Like that scene, I think it was one of the most emotionally, like it's probably the most important scene to me in the book is when Ram starts smashing all those glasses without realizing it because he's so upset because his home is literally on fire in front of his face and everyone's like treating it like a joke. And he needs Reef to come along and be like, oh, like we got (laughs) balance, right? Like balance. And um, I just, I want like the year, the past, what now, two and a half years we've been through of this, pandemic and everything and then Trump you know before that and during like people especially young people need a a way to talk about rage that's healthy that's not just like don't have it don't feel rage like that's a lie right that's not real um we all feel it and we should feel it we should also figure out how to like live our lives with it and deal with it and feel other things too and so I just really wanted Ram to go through that in part to give a language to rage and what to do with it you know beyond just trying to suppress it and pretend it doesn't exist. I think, yeah, Ram, like, already, there was a while ago that excerpt was released where he's talking to his master and he's like, I don't, I feel like I don't feel anything anymore. And that was like a, like a really important place to start his character from. And then he like, you know, he, he starts to feel like more rage, more sadness with like everything that's going on around them. And then to have Wreath be the one to sort of like, and we can just see how far Wreath has come from where he started and to be able to like help ram through that and just their whole relationship i just love them they're very sweet (laughs) they're so pure yeah (laughs) they really are they were fun to write i didn't know how playful they would end up being with each other but that was such that's such a key part of their friendship is when ram is just like (laughs) like sends reed flying and reed's like oh what we're doing this now like (laughs) i think they needed to bring that out of each other a little bit because they're both so serious in different ways you know yeah, their relationship is everything to me. I a majority of my messages to Claire when I was reading was just like, I love them so much. <laughs> and she's so emotional. Yeah, they're just such a great duo and something that I would never have expected. Um, but it totally makes sense, right? Because they're both like, no. we just want to hide from the world. Exactly. We want to hide with each other. <laughs> just as like... soon, yeah, as soon as I started reading, I was like, this is so, this is so true. This is right. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Um, so speaking of Wreath, I, Sage was a little concerned for me that I would cry talking about Wreath and Comac, but we're going to get through it. So you can cry. I told you it's time to cry. I have no problem with it. It's not awkward. Let it out. (laughs) Um, so Wreath and Comac, obviously we've seen them before from Into the Dark and then Out of the Shadows and now here, and they've been written by multiple different authors, a lot of different places where they've shown up. 
what is your process for writing characters that are so established and also like finishing up their story arc for this phase? That was the hardest part, especially Reese, um, because he's a point of view character in the book. Um, like Comac is was challenging in his own right, but a little less so because we weren't in his brain, with or except for that one little part. But yeah, like Reese, I really struggled to write him, and in a good way. Like it was a good challenge. You know, like I, I was like, because he's he's so interesting and he's so thoughtful and just a really he's just his own person um as he should be like that's a good character right like uh Claudia did an amazing job and I immediately loved him in the book I love you know that whole book so much so the first thing I did was really obviously read everything um I felt like I really wanted to figure out his arc and um I really looked at like that last beat of Into the Darkness as a starting point. Um, he certainly goes through a lot in Out of the Shadows, but in terms of like his emotional stuff, like what he's really going through in terms of his growth, it felt like that was such a key moment in his life so that he lands on this beat of like, um, you know, I'm gonna do this for us and like, I'm gonna figure out the path and what's the path gonna be. And I really wanted to kind of challenge him in that notion of what a path is. And what it ended up being actually too was, I, cause I struggled with this the whole book I was writing. I was like, what is his arc? And it really ended up being something really close to my heart, which is this idea, which I, it's so funny because I say it all the time. I think in every interview I've done, I've talked about this poem that I love so much. It says, um, Caminante no hay camino, se hace camino al andar. It's by this Chilean, I think it's Chilean, poet named um, Antonio Machado. And it means, Walker, there is no path, you make the road by walking. And that to me is like the most fundamental, like best wisdom of the universe. Like whether it's about writing, about the world, about career stuff about love like you make that path and we always we spend so much time looking for a path and feeling like we're lost because we don't have the path and like when we kind of make peace with the idea that there isn't a path so you actually cannot be lost like everything changes you know and and that's so powerful I have to re-realize it constantly and I was like Reef needs this <laughs> let me give this to Reef. he's so tight and he just wants like an answer so badly and he needs the answer of not there not being an answer, which is a very Jedi thing um, that I think he really needed to get to. It just happened to work out really well that he had that realization finally of like, you have to chop your own path through the world, right when he's looking down and seeing his master and Kantem literally chopping like with lightsabers through the horde of Nile. And I was like, yeah, visual pun, we're running with it. You know, <laughs> like sometimes things work out. That's so good. I love that. <laughs> Speaking of Jedi and what is a Jedi, you know, we, Yoda is a character in this book. Uh, he is a Cantum Size master. They have a great master and apprentice relationship and that is explored more mm -hmm. in this book. Um, what was it like writing a character that we, we know so well, like not just in the High Republic and, all, and also a character that is so different from what we've mm -hmm. seen right. um, in the prequel era and beyond? Right. And that, that the difference is like the most important part, I think, because it's not it's never easy to write Yoda, but we can always just grab the Yoda we know and kind of like co copy and paste him onto the page. But for me, that's why like I think the most important moment for Yoda, especially in this whole book, is when they're going over besides the Hapthor, which is just really cool. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> when they're talking about like what happened and Kantan realizes that Yoda was kind of broken up about the fact that they left. And, you know, they realize it in retrospect and, and Yoda's like, well, yeah, like, you think it was easy for me to let go of you? Like, I didn't know if you were gonna come back, right? And like, for Yoda to like show emotion like that, we just don't get to see very often. We see Yoda be kind of like sad about how bad things are going in the galaxy, but we don't see like Yoda emote over another person to that level very often. And I really wanted that moment to just show like, like this whole book is about emotions, right? It's about love, it's about heartbreak, it's about rage. It's about all these different emotions that these characters are just going through as they are trying to survive, um, which is like, you know, that's growing up, right? Like especially right now, right here, right now in this world. And so I just wanted to... We're getting mail. It's just mail. It's fucking mail. Well, there's a dog walking by, like, it's so rude. <laughs> no, no. Okay, sorry. Sorry to your listeners. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, I just wanted, I wanted to see a wise old master that everybody loves also display emotion on some level. And also, like, he demonstrates really well, like, that you can have those emotions and also not let them, like, rule you. Like, he, he makes the right choice 
for Kante and for like the galaxy, even though it hurts and he's broken up about it, you know, and he kind of, I think is showing Kante by his actions that like you, you will feel, and this is parenting, right? Like this is being a master to a pattern one. And hopefully Kante has taken those lessons to the moment that we find them in, in the present tense. Yeah, it was such a like good contrast because there's a lot of things in the High Republic that I'm like, oh, this is so different from how things are in the prequels. But to have like a character who we see in the prequels and is like so different now from then. And it's just like right. really jarring to put it in perspective of like how much things have gone downhill since the High Republic era up until like Order 66 and the fall of the Order. Yeah, it's kind of heartbreaking, but it's also kind of cool to get to see it. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, yeah. Um, so another character that we are now obsessed with is Crash. Um, ah. And so <laughs> can you talk a bit about like where the inspiration for Crash comes from and why she's so important to this story as like a non-Jedi POV character from Corellia whose homeworld is now under attack? Exactly. It's totally that. It's like on a practical level, um, I knew I wanted someone on the ground, like I mentioned, like someone who knows Corellian society inside and out and who just has all these kind of connections and that we could really explore Corellia with. Um, and again, like not, I don't like feeling like a tourist in a book, you know, and I don't want my readers to feel like they're tourists. Um, and there's automatically going to be some of that because we're learning a new world. Um, but I think having an insider in that world allows us to feel more deeply inside it and also feel more viscerally and emotionally like what the risk is. Because while it's bad enough that things are happening far away on Starlight for the home of the, of the Jedi, you know, things are also really happening in a very real way on Corellia. So Corellia had to matter to the book. It couldn't just be like an incidental, you know, uh, window dressing. And that's really Crash's role is to bring that emotion home to us. And also to be able to be like, okay, here's how society is. Here's this. I'm a nerd for like local for politics in general and for lore and, and mythology and all that stuff. So it was really an opportunity to be like, let's explore, you know, Corellia during the High Republic, which no one has touched yet. We have no idea what it is. Um, and getting to see it in its golden age, just like the rest of the galaxy and explore what are its connections to the solo era Corellia that we know and, and you know, and love and, and the Grindelids and all that other stuff, like draw all those connections and Crash was really the perfect, perfectly positioned to do that. And then also that chaotic element of her that she embodies that like stressed out, you know, but like really, really good at her job, extremely effective, but the opposite of a Jedi on so many levels. Um, you know, her relationship life is a disaster, but she's trying to work it out the best she can. Like she has all these great friends and they're really all just weird and a band of misfits. She, someone, someone pointed this out in an interview and I didn't do it consciously, but it's true that she has a great relationship with her mom. And how many Star Wars characters can we say that about? <laughs> it's very rare. I was like, you're right. You know, why writers are, are famous for killing off parents just to get them out of the way. And I try to avoid that as much as possible. Um, and with Jedi, it's built in, you know, except for their masters being very parental, their parents are not on the scene. But um, for Crash, I, I did want her to like have a really good relationship with her mom and, and look up to her on certain ways and go to her for advice. And, and so that, you know, that was all there. But yeah, I love her. She's really fun to write. And then of course, famously, she is definitely inspired by Alyssa. Wong, the amazing Dr. Afro writer, who was fantastic, who I did um, ask one day, like, well, if you were in Star Wars, like, what would you be, you know, in the galaxy far, far away? And they were like, uh, you know, I would definitely be the stressed out administrator of an Assassin's Guild. And I was like, perfect, except bodyguards. But yes, (laughs) so it worked out. Yeah, I love Crash so much. I love that Crash is also like a caffeine addict. Um, <laughs> yeah, the droid very needed relatable. too. Very <laughs> relatable. Here's your coffee. Right? <laughs> like, here you go. I see you stressed out. You need your coffee. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was just every time she drank a new cup of coffee, I was texting Claire and I was like, this is me. This is literally me right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So besides yeah, the yeah. point. Um, but um. I love Crash's uh, storyline in this because, you know, a a lot of, um, with a lot of these books, I love the non-Jedi POVs, even though this is about the Jedi and their golden era, but um, there's a lot of balance in it. Kind, there's a lot of balance in this entire book. Right now, there's uh, really horrible things going on in the galaxy, some sad right. moments, especially with this book being released after the Fallen Star. Oh, yeah. um, 
how did you go about balancing out this story, making sure it wasn't too upsetting or too happy? Right. No, that was definitely on my mind. I think it was just kind of an internal, not clock, but there's like a, there's like a scale that you kind of check in with as a writer as you're going. Mind you, I wrote this book like extremely fast. So it's like really hard to do that check-in constantly, but I also knew like balance is exactly the word. Like it's not a mistake that that's what Reef brings to Ram as this mantra. Um, it, that's also true of the book. And that was my own kind of mantra as I was sorting through this book and trying to figure out how to make it all work. Um, that's a big part of Cantam's arc being there too. Like that story is so, outside of the rest of the narrative and it felt like a really important moment for everyone to just breathe right like this narrative is packed it is full of action of realizations of everything and and cantem sections are always a moment um like i wrote Can i wrote that whole arc without having any idea where it was going everything else was very meticulously plotted out and outlined and everything else but with those parts with cantem's story i just didn't want to know because I felt like make the robot walk, right? I felt like this is a story that I need to find out as I walk it. And because it's about a time away from the order, because it's about, you know, finding yourself and all these kind of deeper things. Um, and because it's not connected to the, the larger narrative in the same way as everything else, because it's a different time period, I knew I had the luxury of being able to work it out separately. So when I got right up to the end and I didn't know what the moment was for them that would bring them back to the order, I remember very viscerally like having to stop and be like, oh shit, like I don't know what happens now. And then, and I, and I was talking to my wife and I was like, I, I got, I wrote all the way up to this moment and I have no idea like what brings them back. And I took a walk and, and then I was like, oh, and you, you all know what it is, but we'll, let, we'll leave that for the readers. But like that, that realization was so clutch for me. And then like, especially as me, like at that moment, you know, being on the way to being a father and everything else, like it was all just really connected. And that's why I just think like writing is part analytics and intellectual stuff and thinking through stuff and having plot and architecture and making sure all the pieces fit and the balance stuff. And then part of it is just instinct and heart and gut. And you have to be able to listen to both. And that's one of the hardest things. Yeah, I think that after I read that um, time when Cantum comes back, I was just like waiting for Sage to get there because I was like, <laughs> she's going to lose her mind over this. I Me know too. it. I was too. <laughs> <laughs> like, you guys, I was like, I'm ready for this. I'm ready for the screams. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did. I, this, every single Cantum side POV I sobbed. I was, <laughs> they're just such an amazing character and probably now one of my favorite Jedi. I think that they really shine in this book. Um, they're just everything to me. Anyways. I appreciate it. I love them yeah. too. They're, they're, to me, they're like what a Jedi should be on a lot of levels, you know? And, exactly. Yeah. And I wanted them to have that action moment. You know, at the end, like, it's not enough that they're just like really wise. Like I really wanted to see them in action. So that was a part of this arc too, just making sure that it really got real in terms of the real, like the battle, like that had to really like hit, especially from Cantan's POV. Yeah, I think that like um, their flashbacks were definitely like, not necessarily surprising to me, but it was just like, I wasn't expecting to be like that emotionally invested in like, what was happening there but it really was like one of the most emotional like storylines in the book just because I was like I love them so much they're perfect actually um and just like the way that they're telling it to Comac and the relationship between the two of them is so perfect because they like complement each other really well but they're also really different and it just kind of it was another one of those like pairings in this book that I never would have thought of before but then after reading it I was like they work perfectly together they do and uh, even uh, especially where they don't is actually like some of the best mm -hmm. part right like like those moments when Comac is like losing it and Cantam is like wait 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 Comac is like no we have to go back to Starlight and Cantam is like no 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 that's not it right that's not it and then Comac is like all right we have to kill everybody like right now and Cantam is like no 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 maybe <laughs> some people you know like duh, duh, duh. but um but also to me like they they both in their relationship they really exemplify like these two kind of subtle, but very also dramatically different in some ways, um, understandings of the order and the idea of attachment. Like Comac is so hard on himself. He just constantly from 
from from Claudia's book and on, he is just beating himself up about feeling very normal human beings. And he takes that idea of attachment and moving on from emotions so seriously, I think too seriously. And I think ultimately for me, that's what does him in a little bit and makes him really have to take that move that he takes at the very end and do what he does because he because he takes it so literally. And Kantam, in contrast, is like, I'm gonna feel what I feel and then I'm gonna let it go. And then I'm gonna feel it again. And then I'm gonna let it go over and over and over. And, and so it doesn't stress them out and it doesn't spiral them. And it's not easy, it's not an easy road. But um, I do think that, to, that's why to me, like Kantam is such a powerful Jedi in part is because they deal with their shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love about, um, <laughs> I, about like Cantum's flashbacks is like this idea of like they're in love you know and yeah. they are um figuring out what that means you know for for a Jedi and for themselves and um and it's and I love how it you know it goes side by side with like Lula's storyline throughout this entire arc of comics mm-hmm. of her being conflicted about her feelings because right you know she's also in love and yeah they I just love almost that. get to have that conversation and then they don't. it's like oh you guys have so much to say to each other and you know but I also there's a moment and this was also a turning point in writing it that I didn't see coming I thought it was just going to be like a Cantan love story throughout the whole, their whole arc towards the end or something I really didn't know but I figured uh especially because of how strong and intense and passionate those first couple flashbacks are and then it's just like eh, <laughs> it's just, like it's just like there's the circus and they they run off and join the circus and then they kind of just keep it moving from the you know their love interest and like that <laughs> just like we need to see that a little bit like people having healthy breakups you know and like yeah there, I remember there's an editorial note from someone there's a million different people with their hands and stuff that was like wow they left the order and then you know for this dude and then they just kind of didn't care when the dude kept moving and it just it was it seemed like it didn't matter and I was like it did <laughs> they were following their path you know and like it, it felt it was real at the time because it felt real and then it was over and they accepted it like that's very cantic in the midst yeah. of the chaos of adolescence you know like they're still cantic yeah the like idea of finding their path was such a like prevalent theme in this book and just like for every character honestly um why do you think that like being one of the last stories to be told in this phase why do you think that that story or that like message was the one that needed to be told here in some ways it's it's every book is like I I think every book is about a crisis right and especially for a young adult book it's about the crisis of of letting go of some part of your childhood and and finding some part of your adulthood right and these aren't simple binaries they're not complete things they're not you know they're, they're complicated right and so each character is doing that in a different way. So on some levels, this book was always going to be that, but particularly to your point, because we're landing here on so many levels, like it, it really did have to be about a lot of these folks, like just realizing things about who they are and what they're going to do next, considering the larger crisis of the galaxy and like how much they need to step up and, you know, just really be a part of the solution because things are so bad. Like, that's where we start with Graham back in Race to Crash More Towers, him being like, oh, wow, I can't hide in my garage, you know, for the rest of my life. <laughs> Someone called him, maybe it was me. I, someone was talking about how, like, he's the opposite of Luke. <laughs> like, Luke wants to get off Tatooine so badly and hates his little mechanic life. And Ram is like, I love my mechanic life. All I want to do is fix speeders. Like, what's the problem, <laughs> right? And that's so funny to me. But, um, but yeah, you know, so th- that's Ram's realization in a nutshell. And, Race to Crash One Tower, and it's that's true just across the board. Everybody just has to step up. Like we're just reaching a moment in the initiative and in the galaxy that it's all hands on deck, and you know no one can afford to really step out or, unless that's what they have to do, like Comac. <laughs> I, I'm just I know me and Claire are thinking the exact same thing right now about Comac and and, and his ending to this story. <laughs> it hurts, right? It was, yeah. 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 It was I had a happen. meltdown. <laughs> What wasn't always going to happen was uh, Wreath getting knifed. That was something that I was like, this has to happen, especially given the fact that Comac is walking away. Like, we can't leave another Padawan in night limbo. It's not fair. Like, it's, it sucks for Bell, and we're not doing it twice. Wreath <laughs> like, has done, he's gone through so much. 
he got his ass kicked through three books, like for real. Like, like he, like there was no mercy for him in um, Out of the Shadows. And, and he gets his ass kicked in this book. And, you know, but also he learns, like he really steps up and really becomes like the man that he's supposed to be. He recognizes that he has a crush on everyone and deals with that fact. And, you know, he just really becomes the Jedi he was meant to be. And he just needed that. I mean, we also needed to land on like something really like ceremonially important and victorious in the midst of all that darkness. And that really was part of why that moment had to be there. Yeah, it was very like emotional. So yeah, emotional. I, I cried a lot. Um, <laughs> just out of like the way there's so much going on, but they take that moment to be like, this is about you and your next step, Wreath. And like how everyone was there supporting him. Yeah. The other cool thing is like they're literally in the geographic place that Kira is from because it's it's called the Greens, right? And in the High Republic era, it's a swampland. But by the time we reach um, like Solo era, it's just become this junkyard. And that's where Kira lives. And they mention it in um, Most Wanted. They're like, oh, this place used to be like, you know, swamps and forests and stuff. So Crash and Kira are like neighbors centuries apart, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, Lady Proxima showed up. In this yes, book. he had to. He had to. He's just a baby worm. Yeah. I texted Claire and I was like, "No way, did Daniel just do this? <laughs> this was for I was me." Like, just a little flash of Proxima, like she couldn't do too much. I just wanted to be like, "Whoop!" But also, it's in the midst of that big train fight, which was kind of a tribute to Solo. Like, you know, I just had to get an underground train in there, <laughs> like chasing it on Wormback. Like, how cool is that? Yeah, as a solo stan, I, I love this book. Yeah, yeah. the hounds. That was the other, look, I had this guy with me, this Corelli <laughs> yeah. was just sitting on my desk the whole time I was writing because <laughs> I was like, I got to remember the Corelli hounds. They're so cool. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Anything that you want um, to discuss with us? Ooh. Um, let me see. No, it's just been so cool to like watch you guys like read the book and like take it in. And, um, you know, I, yeah, I, I just I just love hearing, um, you know, everybody's impressions about it. It's been amazing. Like I, I, I told you both, I was like, I've been sitting on it for so long, you know, so it's amazing to like have it out in the world almost and, and partially now and so many people reading it. Um, yeah, but um no, did you have any favorite moments that really just like you always look back on? Because for me, I'll tell you mine. And I know I wrote it and I'm I'm proud to say like I'm I still love it. <laughs> I really do. But um I always think about Ram, like Ram's last hurrah in the in those spaceships and like everything he does with them. Like they're that's just like such a joyful and ridiculous moment <laughs> that I just really love. And and literally like over the past couple of months, like when I would get caught up in other stuff or depressed or whatever sometimes I would think back on that moment and just smile because I was like that was so wild that was a wizard you know like it's amazing and you know and, and it being the culmination of his arc and his friendship with Wreath and how it all plays out so I literally just go back to that and think it through it I'm like that was cool I pulled that off <laughs> so did you all have any moments like that that were like that for you I definitely have a favorite moment but it's <laughs> One of my, well, I have a few favorite moments, but anyways, one of my favorite moments is kind of what we we're talking about earlier during the Nihil masquerade mm -hmm. um, and Ram's, you know, feelings and all of them coming up. And um, because he has been triggered by something that is very, you know, it, he's gone through everything, <laughs> you know, it's too much for like a child to go through. And you're just like, feel so like, hurt because you're like oh my gosh like this is awful I would just want to give him a hug um and it's it's almost to the point where I'm like I was like I'm like uncomfortable by this and as soon as I was feeling that it was Reith was right there and Reith was there to help him and it was just this immediate like hey here's like this like really upsetting thing but I'm gonna show you like how it can get better um and you know Reith is just he's walking Ram through that and I thought that was just such a uh, important thing especially in Star Wars um just because like Star Wars is about war and it's about sad things and you know yeah. 
and it it is reflective of our world you know there's like horrible things happen in this world but it's my why I always go back to Star Wars even though I'm so critical of it sometimes um I I'm always just like the underlying message is like there is hope that everything will you know that things will get better and that things might get worse again but then it's always going to come back and there's always going to be something good and there's going to be people there for you that are going to help you out um and so when I was reading that scene, I was like, I love Star Wars. Like, this is why I love Star Wars is because of this, because of this like eternal like hope that keeps coming back, even though that um, so many horrible things happen during this entire franchise. There's always characters who are going to be like, there's hope still. And um, that's and that's such a like fantastic message to like spread, especially right now yeah. with so much things going on exactly totally yeah I um not to be predictable and pick a Comac moment but (laughs) (laughs) very early in the book when Comac is on like the hollow call with Orla and is like going through it and like literally crying and Wreath walks in to talk to him and sees he's not doing well and is like oh um like what can I do I feel like I want to help you so badly and Comac is like you you can't like I know you want to help but like I'm the teacher you're the student and like just I need to deal with this and like I know that you're also dealing with your own things and like I'm sorry that I can't really help you right now and it's just like a lot of times in Star Wars and just like everything it there's sort of this like thing where the apprentices even like outside of the Jedi are like I want to help my master so badly and there's so many situations where like a mentor figure is really struggling with something and it sort of like falls on the shoulders of their apprentice and it was so great to see a situation where like the mentor figure draws that boundary and is like I can't put all my problems on my student like it's not fair to them especially with like everything that's going on in the galaxy like everyone is going through their own thing and so to have like that line be drawn and like to show that like it's not just Wreath who's struggling Comac is too and like even with the other Jedi and Padawans like it's not just the younger characters that are struggling it's their masters too and like everyone is having a hard time with what's going on and I just thought it was like a really like definitely emotional scene but also it just like was a kind of refreshing and a change from like a lot of what we see over and over again. That's so great because that was like a really late addition to the book. Uh, that, was, that was an editorial comment from someone. Again, I can't remember who. There's like, you know, there's a, t- there's a story group like reads every every book and sometimes they argue in the margins about lore and canon stuff. It's so cool. Um, but it's also maddening because they're like, I need y'all to decide something so that I can write whatever it is that is happening or whatever. But anyway, point is someone was like, it'd be great to get a moment where I know like Ola's not there but that they could at least have a conversation over hollow or something so we could really see their relationship on the page in this book so that it matters more, which was a really good note and turned into that scene. And uh, so it's really nice that, that scene mattered to somebody because I just, it just wasn't one that I had written, you know, in my head originally until I did, obviously. But yeah, that and the, you know, the moment when it's so tiny, but when um, Sfino has a stalker and <laughs> can't him like, droop, droop, droop. <laughs> Can't yes. like does something to him that is like, go and think about your entire life and the patron who too. Like, <laughs> they like send him home to like really deal with his shit in a way that I don't think you're really supposed to do with the with the mind melting, with the uh, mind tricks or whatever. But um, there was one that I didn't think I would get to keep, and I was like, I really want this. <laughs> I really want Can't him to do some good, <laughs> like in this large weird way. But yeah, that, the reason I was thinking of it, because that was another really late edition. For whatever reason, um, I think because I was writing so fast, I just hadn't given Savino a lot of history or um, anything. And her having that family that's so connected. It was also like, we just didn't know what her music was. Like, it keep talking about, in the first draft, it keep mentioning how she's a pop star. And everybody loves her. But we never have a sense of like what kind of music she does or what that means. And it was such a cool opportunity to like, create some really cool Corellian music and what it would sound like and then have her family get to show up at the end and like, you know, jump into the fray and everything else. And like, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I love Spino and Crash. I think they're just so perfect. They're so cute. Um, 
they're adorable um and also yeah all of the relationships in this book were just so good um and kind of going back to what Clarence was saying about Comac and Wreath I feel like this like aspect of family and being a master and apprentice and even even like Wreath and Ram who are both Padawans um Ram is still like um, this little brother figure to Wreath and you know Wreath looks out for him and they look out for each other and I just think that is so special um, just all of the relationships even like Zine and Cantum there's a moment at the end where Cantum's like I'm so glad that you're safe and yeah. I, anyways I literally sobbed so hard I could not see the page I had to take a break <laughs> When that I happens in that moment, could not keep reading. <laughs> but it's a lot, I, it's a lot I, going on in that moment. There, yeah, a lot. And I was, I was having a really good time actually. Um, okay. okay. Yeah, I did. I did cry twenty six times while reading this book. I did count. You um, counted? <laughs> yeah, because I, <laughs> I had to. I oh, also, really? yeah, it was just, it was a lot. Um, but. <laughs> I, but not all of them were me crying because I was sad. Most right. of them were actually crying, me crying because I was happy. Good. Um, That's good. Yeah, I just thought that this book was so like so well written, and the emotions in it were so just like you could connect to every single character in some way, and that is what I absolutely love when I'm reading a novel. Is that even if I'm so unlike a character, I could be like, I get that, like I feel that. Um, and that's just, yeah, especially in a young adult novel too, having all these like conversations about emotions and about growing up. Um, yeah, it's just, it's a very special thing. Um, and I was very, I'm very happy that this is like the book that is like taking us out of this phase, you know, um, especially after the fallen star, it's a very good balance and it's, a, um, it's a lot of fun. But I hadn't yeah, read the, the fallen star was being written simultaneously. So I hadn't, I couldn't read it. <laughs> yeah. I knew the events of it, but I had no idea the details of those events or, you know, there was a lot of things I didn't know, um, but I knew it was going to be rough in a good way. You know, <laughs> it's amazing and it's hard. It's a hard read and I knew that it would be and it should be. It's exactly what it needed to be. Um, so I knew that, that that was part of the balance and act that was happening was knowing like, okay, this is going to be, you know, just sad, like there's just, you know, even the book aside, like just the events of the galaxy at that moment are really, really hard. And um, there had to be victories in there and there had to be fun to be had. That is part of where the, you know, the masquerade came out of was just the need for fun in the midst of all of this hell. And then finally, like I wanted a heist feeling in there a little bit. So when they have to do that, oh, forgot <laughs> that whole thing with the baby bomb break. Woo! <laughs> Yes. <laughs> in the first draft, it was a Porg, but um, they're like very protective of Porgs not being out of the galaxy, which I knew was going to happen, but I really just had this image of it being this little Porg and this giant mouth about to eat it. And I was like, oh, but I'm actually really happy to end up with Von Brack because now we get another baby Von Brack who's like part of the team. But um, yeah, I just wanted that whole heist vibe and all these weird characters and like that just the whole world of Corellia to be really broken open and to get to explore it and feel like a kid a little bit running around this like strange planet that you don't know, or, you know? Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad the balance and act worked. Yeah, it definitely like, although the ending was very sad, it had like a hopeful feel almost. Like it didn't feel like, oh, everything's terrible and it's gonna stay terrible. Like it felt right. like it was definitely like, going in a direction where the characters have hope and they don't just feel like completely hopeless and just like the way that this is all the young adult novels have done a really good job of this of like taking these really big galactic tragedies that are happening and showing how they affected a group of like a smaller group of Jedi and specifically focusing on like younger Jedi so that like as like a younger audience reading it it's like oh these people are all like younger than me or around my age and to see like these horrible things that are happening and like how it's impacting them personally is like yeah. a really good contrast to sort of how the adult novels are more of like this is the big like picture and then it just focuses right. in on specific characters. Totally and, and I think like there's hope in in action 
And I think that's kind of one of the like underlying truths of Star Wars is like hope isn't really about um, things going well, obviously, because things don't go well. But hope is about what you do when things don't go well. And that was that's also something I took out of being a medic. You know, I was a medic for 10 years. And like, so people would always be like, how do you like sleep at night? <laughs> like I sleep amazing, you know what I mean? Like I save people's lives, right? But like, you don't always save people's lives. Sometimes people die. And the actual truth of being a medic is knowing that and knowing that like the cleansing aspect of the job actually comes from doing the work, even if it doesn't work out because it's not always going to work out. And it is humbling. But it's also like, you know that and you go in, you don't walk away from um, dealing with a, a dying person that you tried to save and didn't make it in the same way that you walk away from seeing someone get shot on the street and die or just dying that you can't do anything, right? So doing something really does transform the experience internally for you and externally in the world. And that was like a lot of what made me an activist for a period of my life. And a lot of what made me the writer that I am is knowing those things. And I think that's true in Star Wars. And I think that's really true at the end of this book is that like, yes, things are dire. Everybody is down bad in very different ways. But like, you know, we end on hope because like Yoda shows up with a path to salvation, like an idea of what we need to do next. And that's what we need. Like, we don't need someone to come and lie to us and be like, everything's going to be fine. You'll be all right, right? Because that's a lie. If young people especially know that lie and they see it a million miles away, rightfully so, and they call bullshit on it. And, you know, we can't do that. So whether it's Zine being like, I'm going to do what I have to do to find Lula, or whether it's Yoda being like, here's what we have to do now to get to the next place, to get to good, that's what we're going to do. And that's where we land. Yeah, I loved the end where it was like, they were like, they're going to go back to Coruscant, you know, and they're going to figure it out. Right. Um, and I'm interested in seeing, um, you know, when these characters show up again and how this is all going to lead to where we see the Jedi in the prequel era. Um, and so I'm, I know you can't talk about that, but I'm I'm looking forward <laughs> to that anyways. Um, yes. Yeah, the, the end with Zine, <laughs> I... <laughs> Claire's laughing at me because she was there. <laughs> I was having a bit of a meltdown um, for. No, like, I figured years. that might happen. <laughs> oh no! Uh, yeah, it was it was such a perfect place for to like end like her story in this book, though. You know, just because yeah. we know like another comic is coming too, and I'm so excited for that. Uh, but yeah, I just think that this book was great for her for Zine. Um, all the characters in this book sh like just shined. They were all great. Uh, and I loved how the, all of their stories, you know, have come to like to this ending for now, hopefully. And, um, and you know, it's just a, I, yeah, I just love them. This book made me so emotional and also is just my favorite thing ever. Um, and I've been saying forever that this book is going to be my Joker, and it absolutely is. I <laughs> I'm glad it lived up to the expectations because they were high. <laughs> it definitely the amount of like drafts I have ready to post on the internet. Oh no, I can't wait for it to come out. Like it's so wild, <laughs> how many people have read it and how many people haven't read it, and they're mm -hmm. all like in conversation on the timeline. And I'm just like, <laughs> yeah. Like, but yeah, it's the reaction has already been so positive and so strong and so excited, and it's just so cool to like hear different people's impressions. And I can't wait for the fan art. <laughs> yeah, yeah we've talked about this several times like we're so excited like oh my god that piece that um i think her name is isabel the um the, man the one that came out right around the, the vega which i took to be my birthday you know a cake that like lulu completely blew up and zina's looking at her like what are you what is that that's so perfect i love bell's art so much yes. i'm yeah Hopefully she's listening to this by the time. Um, <laughs> Do the Ram scene, ready? Do the spaceship, Ellie. Please. Oh, she's read it. She has to read it before she listens. Yeah. <laughs> no, but all the art has been amazing. Like you guys have done art. It's so good. That's like the best thing about the higher public, like being a writer on this team is like seeing like how amazing the fan response has been, the reader response and just like, that it's not just people like being like, this is great, I love this, but like creating work in response to it and like being in conversation with it on such a deep level, like including memes, including cosplay, including jokes, like that's all part of like this really amazing thing 
that is the high republic that's like so much bigger than you know the five of us it's just so cool yeah it is really great and i'm like really excited for everyone else to read it and hear all of their thoughts because even just like talking to the small group of people that we know that have already read it and everyone has like really interesting things to say about it and totally. so i'm really excited to see like what other people are going to take out of it and like what like I've like seeing what characters people connected with the most in it is always right. one of my favorite things with like any higher public book because we get totally. so many characters and so many POVs and so I'm really yeah. excited to see like who kind of latches on to each character and like each storyline. Exactly and I've already had people tell me like totally opposite things like some people are like oh it's just zines parts are like everything and other people are like no read the ram it's like it and you know and other people it's canton and like that's great that's so cool to hear actually i did have a question for you i think there's such an interesting conversation um about the idea of vernacular in star wars right and i know it and i think it's a totally reasonable critique so i don't want to sound like i'm critiquing the critique but i uh, i know some people are like the second I see the word, whatever, cool, or, you know, whatever, just certain things that like are very modern vernacular, um, the second they pop up on the page, it takes them out. And I think that's so interesting. And again, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. Um, I totally respect it. For me, like, and I respect it in part because other things that I see in Star Wars sometimes take me out of Star Wars. And I hate it when that happens, but it's very personal. So like, there are moments, I, I do make a very conscious choice to use vernacular and to speak in a modern way, whatever that means. Um, and I do it on purpose, you know, and that's a choice that I make it, I make it knowing that some people aren't going to jive with that. Um, so yeah, that's my question for y'all is like, does that, uh, do, is that something you notice? Does it pull you out? Do you like it or dislike it or not care? Or what is that experience for you? Um, I, I definitely notice I love language. I think it's one of it's, I love it so much, but I, you know, when I'm reading, um, like these books and stuff, I, it's, I love it. I really do because it feels very like real. Like there's a moment, there's moments where I'm like, oh my God, I would say that. Like, I would literally say that. <laughs> and then, but it's also, and then, so it feels like it doesn't take me out. It it's more of like a pulls me in more. It's mm -hmm. more of like a, I feel more grounded to this story and very like like I'm could be reading anything it doesn't even have to be in Star Wars you know and so it's like I love it in that sense and I think it's also very balanced out with um like Star Wars language I think right. um and even like <laughs> we've been talking me and Claire were talking for like 30 minutes about this <laughs> earlier today um Ram saying wizard all the time <laughs> is actually the best thing I think I've ever read in my entire life. Um, and so committed to it. it yes. Like, this so, is my word. <laughs> like, the, and word. the very beginning where Zine finds out that he made it up. Is, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, Everyone that's so right. It was a thing. They're all just like, yeah, that must be a valid thing. And he's like, no, I totally made that up. <laughs> Yeah, so I do think that it's um yeah, and then see, anytime I see it now in other Star Wars um context, I'm like I'm like oh my god, Ram's word, Ram King, you right. made that up, made that up, the influencer king, right? Yeah. And you saw I was just talking on Twitter because Pablo was like, that was all Pablo. He was like, why don't you use wizard instead of cool all the time? I was like, oh, that's a funny word. I totally blanked on it. I haven't seen a new um. Phantom Menace in a long time and I just didn't remember it but I was like that's so random wizard I love it and <laughs> later after I had written him saying it a bunch I was like oh right I think I had to ask someone they're like yeah that's what like Anakin's friend says or whatever and I was like oh my god right Pablo is a devil like he's so hilarious and smart I love that he did that and then of course it pops up in today's episode yeah yeah great. I think it like works really well in this book specifically because of like who the characters are I'm like Ram would say wizard every five yeah. seconds like it's so in character and yeah. so it doesn't like take me out of it because I'm like yeah I believe that those people would say that in that context so that's why I think it worked really well in this book in particular mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense language is interesting man and it's interesting because you're dealing with this world and you're dealing with that world at the same time and I think that's one of the like challenges of just any writing, but especially in fantasy and especially in a in a in a galaxy as known as that one. Um, you know, just trying to figure all those things out. Like you guys talk about on the show, like, you know, the the decisions we make as storytellers affect this world and we don't get to just pretend that they don't. 
And so those conversations about redemption, you know, about tragedy, about all these different arcs that these characters are having, like we don't get to just pull it out and pretend that it's totally separate because it's not, but we also don't want to like tip too far into being like, look, it's just like the real world, you know, because that does pull you out. And she's just like always on this tightrope, right? But that's also the joy of it. Yeah, exactly. So I, I love like the fantasy genre in general and, and science fiction. They are supposed to be reflective of your world and not like exactly like it right. or else it will, It's it doesn't serve its purpose. Exactly. Yeah. And so I love the language that's used in Star Wars. I think it's great. Um, and I, I did like in this book um, when they, you know, would say words from us, from our, right. from our world. Right. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Fulcrum Transmissions. Please feel free to send us questions. You can DM them to us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. Next week, we will be returning to our usual Monday release day. Once again, thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode.